All right, and then I'll also be doing the passage reading for today, which is Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 to 35. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed the man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all of the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like Laban, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flowers until it was all leavened. All things Jesus said to the crowds in parables, indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Good. Thank you, Maddie. So that is today's scripture. We're in Matthew chapter 13, 31 to 35. We continue in this series, Hidden Treasures. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you again for your word. Where would we be without your revelation to us? And we thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself most fully in your son, Jesus. What we will celebrate here together as a church family in the coming weeks. Jesus, we thank you for coming to earth, for making the Father known. We thank you for the way that you taught your first disciples, and that teaching has come to us. So, Lord, may we hear you speaking to us today. May we receive what you have to say. May we allow it to have its effect. May we allow it to have its effect on our hearts and minds. May we put it into practice for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 When... uh, My daughters were small, sometimes sitting in a church service like this, I would place a daughter on my knee, and so my daughter would have her back to me, and I'd play a little game. Parents, you can do this to keep your kids quiet. Start like this. You're going on a treasure hunt. X marks the spot. Dot, dash, dot, dash, dot, dash. A snake crawls up your back, bites you in the neck. (sighs) Cool breeze, crack an egg, going to make you freeze. And they would just shiver and and say, again, Daddy, again, Daddy. And we'd do it again. Treasure hunts. Do you enjoy going on a treasure hunt? Treasure maps, they're intentionally vague, right? Right? So, with the treasure map, you'll see some landmarks that are familiar, and there'll be a big red X where the treasure is to be found. Usually, if you're following the treasure map, usually the adventurer will have just enough knowledge to get to the first landmark. And then once you get to the first landmark, you'll have a few more clues, and you'll keep on going, and hopefully you'll get to the second landmark. Along the way, clues are dropped. You have to start walking. You have to start asking questions. You have to start turning over stones in order to get to the red X. Jesus, he is the master communicator. With his parables, he puts a big red X on the kingdom of heaven. And he says, you want to experience that. You want to know that. You want to find it. And then he begins with some landmarks. He gives you just enough to start the journey. And he builds on what you already know. When he's talking to his first disciples, he says, well, the kingdom of heaven, it's like four soils. The kingdom of heaven, it's like wheat and weeds in the same field. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's like leaven. 
So you know about those things. Now here's what you're missing. There's something that you don't know. There's a secret. There's a mystery. There's a treasure. Do you want to find it? The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who sows seeds in the field. And he's sowing wheat. But there's also weeds amongst the the wheat. Why is that? It's like a man who goes out and sows seeds, and there's four kinds of soil. Well, in what way is the kingdom of heaven like that? The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Mustard seeds are really small. It was the smallest seed known to the people of Israel. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. In fact, this mustard seed, it was proverbial among Jews for smallness. It was the perfect metaphor. It evokes surprise. You see, the Jews, they expected the kingdom of God to come with greatness. They believed it would be vast and glorious immediately. And Jesus says it's like a mustard seed. It would be like saying to an American today, on the world stage, the United States of America is like an ant. And the American immediately would say, well, what do you mean? That's what Jesus is doing with the parable of the mustard seed. This small seed, it's barely perceptible. And the kingdom of heaven is like that little tiny seed. And then it grows, and it becomes larger than all of the garden plants. In fact, a a mustard seed plant can grow to about two and a half meters, but it's not the enormous size of the mustard plant when it's fully grown. That's not what the parable is about. It's what, what goes from being very, very small to growing into something large, a full-grown plant. My grandsons, they began very small. So here you have a fertilized human egg at three weeks, a zygote. At three weeks, you cannot see the fertilized human egg. It's 0.1 millimeters in diameter, really small. Every human being starts really small. Here's a picture of my grandson in Toronto at one year of age. So that's Noah. Just a year and nine months ago, he, you couldn't see him. But in a short period of time, he sits. He tries to make words, speak forth words. He crawls. He stands up. He points. I have another grandson in Montreal, a year older. So at two years of age, this is my grandson in Montreal. It's a good day in Montreal. So he's dancing in the streets. Just two years and nine months, a little less, he was like that zygote. You couldn't see him. And if you, I were to point to something and say, my grandson is right there, you'd say, what? I don't see it. I don't see him. But two years and nine months later, he's on the streets of Montreal dancing. That's the kind of thing that Jesus is talking about. The mustard seed, it's really small, barely perceptible, but it's going to grow miraculously. Unbelievable. 
Almost all of the Jews, including Jesus' disciples, they thought that when the kingdom of God came, when the kingdom of heaven came, that it would be established with initial greatness. That immediately everybody would know. Everything would come under the rule of the Messiah. Everything would change. Life would never be the same again. And Jesus was present. But so many things hadn't changed. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven, it's like a mustard seed. It's going to start small, and it's going to grow. He unveils something that's completely unexpected. It's present, it's small, but it is dynamic. And it'll grow and grow and grow. It may appear to be inconsequential right now, but it's going to grow to maturity. In Jesus' day, these beginnings of the kingdom of heaven, they would have been despised by many. Many in the crowds would have despised what was happening through Jesus and his disciples. They weren't prepared for the kingdom to begin as a mustard seed. It would have shocked them. But the good thing about God is that he doesn't despise small beginnings. So maybe you have just started to follow Jesus, and you look at your own life, and you say, well, it's not completely transformed yet. Yes, there's something happening, but there's so much more. God does not despise small beginnings. And then there's something in this parable about the birds coming to live in its branches, to roost in its branches. What's that about? That may appear insignificant to us today, but to Jesus' hearers on that day, it actually would have meant something. Those listening to him would have been taken back to the Old Testament where in Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar in a vision, he is a great tree. And the birds come to live in the branches of that tree. That tree represents the kingdom of Babylon, the greatest kingdom, at least in the, in the known, uh, I should say the known world, for those living in the Middle East, the greatest kingdom on earth. And the message is that kingdoms or nations around the world will find shelter in the branches of King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. So what is Jesus saying when he tells that parable of the mustard seed and birds coming to live in its branches, roost in its branches? Well, he's saying, in comparison to that short-lived kingdom of Babylon, the kingdom of God will be exceedingly great. And all the nations of the earth will be included in that kingdom. It's a kingdom that will find people from all languages and all tribes and all people groups and all nations, people from around the world participating and worshiping the one true God, the vision that we see in the book of Revelation. The hidden kingdom will extend to the ends of the earth. That's the message of the parable of the mustard seed. In Jesus' day, as I said, the kingdom appeared to be insignificant, inconsequential. Most people around the world were worshiping other idols, other gods. Even the Jews did not, most Jews did not consider Jesus to be the Messiah. So Jesus and his followers, a very tiny minority, tiny group. But these tiny beginnings would grow into something far greater than anything they could imagine. What has happened over the last 2,000 years? Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago. We'll celebrate that in the coming weeks. What has happened over the last 2,000 years? 
in Acts chapter 1, Jesus and his, uh, the followers of Jesus, it's a small community of 120 that are praying for the Holy Spirit to come over them, just a mustard seed. Well, today, if we look at this graph, the M should actually be a B. In 2025, about 2.56 billion people on earth call themselves Christians. 2.56 billion. That represents about 31% of the world population. So here's another. There's a pie chart there, and Christianity is the blue part. 31% of the world's population considers itself to be Christian, the largest faith group in the world. Most of the growth in the church today is happening, of course, in Africa and Latin America and Asia. And there are unprecedented signs of growth in North Africa, the Middle East, the Turkic world. Here's a map showing where the growth of the evangelical church is outpacing population growth. And so in almost every nation on earth, the evangelical church is outpacing population growth. We need to pray for Canada and the United States, if you look at this map, right? But I show this just so you realize that what we see happening in Canada today is not indicative of what is happening around the world. The kingdom of heaven continues to grow. It's spreading across the earth. It's outpacing population growth in almost every country. Just this week, one of the key leaders of the World Evangelical Alliance was in my office, and he told Pastor John and me this, this story of what's happening in a Central Asian country. Historically, this Central Asian country you know, has been completely closed to the gospel. With the fall of the Soviet Union, this country was open to the proclamation of the gospel just for a few years. And after a short period of time, about 20 years ago, all of the missionaries were expelled. Just a small group of believers left behind. And so it leads you to ask the question, well, what will happen to the fledgling church? Will it even survive? So what this leader told us was just over the last year, six to 7,000 new believers from Muslim background have been baptized. This is a, a country where the majority of the population is of Turkic background. Unprecedented things are happening in this country. Uh, a Christian hospital has been established. The government just invited the World Evangelical Alliance to start a Christian university in that country. Unthinkable just a few years ago. One of the things that the Christians are doing is that they are, they've received uh, water purification systems. In that country, most of the fresh water is contaminated. And so the World Evangelical Alliance has gifted the churches with water purification systems. What the churches are doing is they're purifying the water, but before they drink it for themselves, they pass it on to their Muslim neighbors. And this, of course, is creating great favor. And more and more Muslims are coming to faith in Jesus. Are we aware of what God is doing around the world today? Do we have our eyes open to the kingdom of heaven? The world has about 17,428 people groups. And when we talk about people groups, we talk about groups of people that have certain things in common, like language and history and culture 
often faith as well. 17,428 people groups scattered around the globe. Just a few years ago, it was, in, you know, studies have been done, it was determined that about 7,400 of these people groups were unreached. When we talk about a people group being unreached, what we say is that less than 2% of the population actually follows Jesus. Less than 5% professes to be Christian. Among that group, there would be people that are just nominal. They say they are Christian but don't really follow Jesus. But at least 2% would be following Jesus, living by the Scriptures. So 7,400 groups unreached. There's a group called Finishing the Task. And what they've discovered that right now, today, as we speak, only 144 people groups are unengaged with the gospel. That means that they're not hearing the gospel in their own language. But by 2025, just in three years, every people group on earth will be hearing the gospel in their own language. There will be believers in those people groups, and churches will be planted. That's happening in our time. That has never happened before in the history of humanity. So my question this morning is, are we paying attention? Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And that word nations there is ethnic groups. All nations, and then the end will come. Are we engaged in what God is doing? Are we paying attention? Are we praying for it? From Jesus and his little band of followers, that tiny mustard seed, the kingdom of God has grown relentlessly. And it will continue to grow. It will continue to extend to the ends of the earth until people from all languages, all tribes, all nations, all people groups are included. And then the end will come. Jesus has more. So he tells the parable of the mustard seed. And then he tells this parable of the leaven. It's similar, but it actually adds something new. Let's go to verse 33 of Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So there's a woman in her kitchen preparing food. Beautiful scene. Some of my best memories from home are of my mother making bread. Is there anything better than the smell of fresh bread? Is there? It's one of the best things. In the ancient world, a small piece of fermenting acidic dough would be separated from a, an earlier baking and then used to leaven flour. So that's what the woman in the parable is doing. What's remarkable is not the growth of the leaven, but the way that it permeates all the flour, leavens the whole dough. Three measures of flour. Three measures of flour would have been about 50 pounds of flour. So that would have produced enough bread to feed about 100 people, a small village. Just a little bit of leaven. It's kneaded into the dough. And it has an impact on all of the flour. What's the lesson for the crowd? What's the lesson for us? Well, 
the Jews of Jesus' time, they rightly understood that with the coming of the Messiah, there would be an impact. The kingdom of heaven would come. But what they didn't understand was that the kingdom of heaven would not be visible to everyone. That it would be a hidden kingdom. It would not be this militaristic kingdom overpowering everyone. It would not be this political kingdom with everyone submitting to Jesus' rule immediately. No, a kingdom that would permeate. It would begin with inner transformation. The transformation of men and women. Something unseen. Not fully visible to everyone, but pervasive. The hidden kingdom will permeate each society on earth. Every human society. Amen. That's the message of the parable. Amen. So Jesus is saying to his first disciples, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. The kingdom of heaven, it's small. It's like a mustard seed. It's like leaven. But it will have its effect. It will extend to the ends of the earth. It will permeate every human society. Don't be feel, fooled. Have your eyes on the kingdom. Michael Wilkins writes this. As citizens of the kingdom of Jesus, we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And we seek to bring people into loving community within the church. But our popularity is never to be the final gauge of the real influence of the kingdom. I think that's an important word for us today. Because sometimes we find ourselves on the margins. and We find the church to be unpopular in Canadian society. We shouldn't gauge the influence of the kingdom by our popularity. Wherever we are, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We bring people into loving community within the church. And one day, it will be plain for all to see the full impact of the kingdom of heaven. As in the parable of the mustard seed, the kingdom, it begins small. But it grows relentlessly. How does it grow? One family at a time. That's how it's been growing throughout history. One family at a time. Someone in the family comes to saving faith in Jesus. Because they've come to saving faith in Jesus, they naturally share of their new hope, their new faith, through their words, through their loving actions. And other family members, even though they may not agree with the newfound faith of their family member, they take note. And often, they want the peace that that person has. They want what that person has, whatever that is. They're drawn to Jesus. This has been shown to be true in countries as diverse as India and Kenya and Russia and Canada. In 1990, a study was done on, on Canada, a survey. Uh, Pastersky and Motz did this survey. And uh, they were trying to discover how people came to faith in Jesus in the nation of Canada. And they discovered that 8% came to faith through church events. 67% came to faith through personal relationships with friends, with family members. That's how people come to faith in Canada. That's how people have come to faith throughout church history. So, this year we're going to have some banquets at Willingdon. A whole bunch of different language groups are going to have banquets to celebrate the coming of Jesus. We're going to do a Christmas outreach presentation. Should we do those things? Of course we should. Of course we should. 
But we need to remember that people will come to faith through those events or in other settings because of their relationships with people that consider Willingdon to be their home. It's through you. As you reach out to your friends, as you reach out to other family members, it's through you that the kingdom of heaven spreads. That's why our church vision statement is a family on mission with Jesus. Everyone, every day, everywhere. Amen. You're all missionaries. I don't know if you knew that, but you are. <laughs> You're all sent wherever you are. We speak of leaven in families. We could also speak about the leaven of the church around the world. John Dixon is an Australian historian, and he has studied church history. He's written a wonderful book called Bullies and Saints. I recommend it to you. Bullies and Saints by John Dixon. And so in that book, he talks about some of the really difficult moments in church history, some of the very sad moments. But he also points out the good of the presence of the church over the last 2,000 years. And wherever the church has gone, the church has started hospitals, it has started schools, it has worked to end slavery, it has had a positive influence on society. Now today, some would say, well, maybe that's true. Almost no historian that, you know, is committed to truth would deny that. They would say, yeah, okay. The church was used in history to start hospitals and to care for infants that were being abandoned. It was used to start schools all over the world. Yes, it did have that kind of an influence, but today it doesn't matter. Whether you are a Christian or not has no influence on whether you do good in society or not. Many would say that. Probably the most extensive study that's ever been done on the influence of the church in the world was done by Robert Putman and David Campbell at Harvard University. And I think it's important for us to know that they're not actually followers of Jesus. They're just trying to do research. And they came to the undeniable conclusion that when the church is present, people are more community-minded. They're more generous. They're more tolerant. Sometimes we hear, you know, the, in the news that we are more intolerant. Christians are actually more tolerant. It's not that we believe what, that everything is okay, but there's a tolerance, a love that comes with being in Jesus. The impact on volunteerism in a community is dramatic. Where the church is present, twice the number of people are volunteering. The church helps societies around the world function more effectively. Christians are more likely to know someone from a different social class. They're more neighborly. It's in the church that rich and poor come together more than any other place in society. So the church has dramatic, leavening influence on society. It's a really good thing for the church to be present in a city, in a province, in a nation. The church is good leaven. So summarizing, the mustard seed parable, it tells us that the church will grow, or sorry, the kingdom will begin very, very small. Very small. But it will grow. 
and it will have an impact. It will extend to the ends of the earth. The parable of the leaven, again, small, often unseen, but it will permeate the whole dough, and it will affect transformation in every human society. The kingdom will grow, and it will transform. It was common practice for Jesus to teach using parables. When he spoke to the crowds, verse 34, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. As we've seen in previous messages, uh, parable, it means to come alongside a spiritual lesson with uh, an analogy. Parables, they're somewhat elusive, right? They can be challenging, sometimes unsettling. They make us think. As Jesus said, they're intended to conceal things, conceal truth from the wise, those who think they know everything. The parables test the crowds. And the parables are given to reveal things to Jesus' disciples. Parables are meant to make us think, to make us curious. What is it that makes us curious? What makes you curious? Movies, they cause us to ask, what's going to happen? We'll sit through, right through a bad movie, right? We'll sit right through a bad movie to find out what's going to happen at the end. And sometimes we just sit through it because we paid for the movie. <laughs> Mystery novels, they force us to ask, well, who did it? A crossword puzzle will force us to ask, well, what is the six-letter word for psychiatrist? We're trying to discover something. There's something we don't know. There's a gap in our knowledge. We're curious when there is something that we don't know. For example, gossip. We know a lot about people. But there's always something we don't know. So when someone comes along, did you hear what John did? We're interested. We're curious. What is it that we don't know? Our tendency is to often tell people all the facts. We just kind of pour it out. Here's the facts. What we need to help people understand is why they need to know the facts. And that's what Jesus is doing as he tells the parables. He talks about things that they know but there are gaps in their knowledge. There's things they don't understand. There's something missing. Here's another example. In 1966, ABC Television got the contract to televise American college football games. They just had a challenge before them. How would they get people to watch football teams that they knew nothing about and had never cheered for? Have you thought about that? How do they, those of you who are into sports, how do they get us to watch? Well, they had a brilliant producer who came up with this idea. What they would do is provide context for the game. So, tell stories about the players. Show scenes from the city. Draw people in. Show the fans going to the game. Talk about the rivalry between these two teams. You see, in the past, the television broadcast had just begun with the national anthem and the game. But ABC Television realized we have to do something different if we want people to engage and watch. So, wives, if your husbands are watching a lot of sports, just be merciful. 
They're being drawn in. They're being seduced. They don't know what they're doing. They're helpless. <laughs> and if you watch sports today, you realize that everyone is doing this, right? Whether it's the World Cup or basketball or hockey, whatever sport it is, we're being drawn into the story. We're given enough knowledge so that we care about who will win the game, what we don't know. Jesus is the master communicator. His parables tell us that there's a gap in our knowledge. There's something we don't know. There's a secret. There's a treasure. There's a mystery. And he fills in the gap. Verse 35. This is what Asaph was doing in the Old Testament. Verse 35 quotes Psalm 78, verse 2, which was written by Asaph. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Well, what is Asaph uttering? What is he uttering that's been hidden from the foundation of the world? That word utter is to, to roar or to pour forth or to bellow. It's a really strong word. He pours forth what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. What Asaph does in Psalm 78 is he narrates the history of Israel all the way from the Exodus to King David. He tells these very familiar stories to the Jewish people. Why does he do it? Why does he tell them what they already know? Well, he wants to help them see what they're not seeing. He wants to show them patterns that have previously been disclosed to them. He wants to engage them in their history so that they will not be rebellious toward God, hard-hearted toward God. They will see that God has been their shepherd from generation to generation. He wants his generation to be faithful. The hidden kingdom revelation, what it does is it enables Jesus' followers to understand their story. Amen. So the disciples were having a hard time understanding some of the things that were happening. The kingdom of heaven wasn't making a lot of sense to them. And Jesus tells them parables so that they'll gain insight into what is happening in their story. Question for us, do we understand our story? Today, where we are, do we understand the kingdom of heaven's story? Are we allowing others to tell our story? Are we allowing those in academia, those that teach high school, those that teach in university, are they the ones telling our story? I remember when my three daughters were in university and they would come back and tell me stories about the growth of the church around the world from the perspective of their professors. And over and over again, I had to help them interpret what they were hearing because what they were hearing was not faithful to the story. It was not faithful to the story. And so what they were hearing was that the growth of the church around the world, all it was was a colonial enterprise. And they took advantage of the strength of European nations and they imposed their faith on other peoples. And it was a bad thing. That's what they were hearing day after day. And so I had to help them understand the story. What was happening through the people that took the gospel to nations around the world? What was the real story? 
what kind of sacrifice was made. And it's not that there are no bad moments in that history, but there are so many good moments. <laughs> People that gave out house, home, family, career, to follow Jesus and spread the good news, just planted seeds, did not go with any power at all, just lived their faith among other people, and others were drawn. Why? Because they wanted what Jesus was bringing to them, and they willingly surrendered their lives to Jesus. It was not something imposed, something forced upon the nations around the world. So we need to understand the story. What is the actual story of the church going to the nations around the world? And we have to help our children understand that story, know that story, celebrate that story. Who is telling the story of the church today? Are we telling it to the next generation so that they will understand that Jesus has been our shepherd for generations. He is our shepherd today, and he will continue to shepherd us into the future. Amen. So Asaph, in Psalm 78, he's reflecting on the history of Israel so that the people of Israel in his day, in his generation, will understand God's plan of salvation. Amen. Jesus teaches, including through parables, so that the people of his time, his disciples, will understand God's plan of salvation. So that they'll understand that the kingdom of heaven has come, and it has come, and it's dynamic, but it's small, and it's going to grow, and it's going to extend to the farthest reaches of the earth. Amen. It has come like leaven. It's unseen, but it's permeating, and it will bring transformation to people's hearts, to families, to societies around the world. That's the story. Michael Wilkins writes that the entire Old Testament has looked forward to the inauguration of the kingdom of heaven. And in Jesus' ministry has drawn together the many strands of prophetic hope that seemed disparate to some. So in Jesus, many different strands in the Old Testament are being brought together. Probably no one saw the royal king and the stricken shepherd coming together in one person. Probably no one saw the son of David, but also the servant, suffering servant, merging in one person. Jesus being the fulfillment of the whole Old Testament story. And just as God's plan of salvation was made clear through Asaph's inter interpretation of history in Psalm 78, so God's plan of salvation is brought into clarity for his disciples as Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, as he shares these parables, and he interprets them for his disciples. The hidden kingdom revelation, it encourages us as followers of Jesus to keep our eyes open. Amen. And that's my question for myself and for you this morning. Are our eyes open? What's determining how we see history, how we see ourselves? If we're just following national media outlets or social media or some professor in a university, we probably won't have the right perspective. Let's keep our eyes on the kingdom. Let's inform ourselves in relation to what Jesus is doing in our time. The kingdom of heaven continues to grow around the world, as I've tried to demonstrate to you this morning. There's so much more that could be shared. 
Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like four soils. Different responses. Some will reject me. Don't be surprised, disciples. Kingdom of heaven is like wheat and weeds. Good and evil are going to coexist right to the end of, the, of time. But I am coming as judge. I will put all things right. Things previously hidden. Jesus, disciples, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's present, it's dynamic, it's small, but it's growing, and it will extend to the ends of the earth. You can count on it. It's like leaven. You don't see it, but it's permeating everything. People are being transformed as they receive the good news of who Jesus is. The kingdom is growing. It's expanding. It's permeating. No one can stop it. No one. No one will ever stop it. No power will be able to suppress it. The kingdom will continue to grow to the end of the age. Amen. It will spread to every people group, every nation, every language on earth, and then the end will come. I pray that we will keep our eyes open, that we'll keep our eyes on Jesus, that we'll be looking for the signs of the kingdom, celebrating what God is doing, and joining Jesus in what he's doing. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's look at some questions, and then we'll continue in worship.